do you get, <laughs> do you get like boost this high performing post like push ads on your Facebook? No, I don't. I I think Facebook has given up on me for advertising after just I did just such a shit poor job of it, you know, for all my Kickstarters and like trying to promote uh-huh. my comics. They're just like, yeah, this guy, this guy sucks at this. Let's not. <laughs> take him out of the program well so like i posted tonight at the beginning of my dapper rapper post yeah 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 yeah. set up tonight and facebook is like boost this high performing post this post is getting more engagement than 90 95 of your recent posts Mm -hmm. we recommend boosting it to grow your audience and i'm like i've had maybe two posts in the last five months yeah like it's going to get engagement at all. <laughs> right, right, right. 95% of my recent posts. What do you, how far back are you looking there, bud? Anyway. <laughs> yeah. This is why, this is why we don't have a hype as my superpower. Facebook page is because when you, when people are part of your group, then they get notifications and they actually see your posts without you having to pay for advertisement. That just really doesn't happen. It, the algorithm sucks for pages. So, yeah, the thought has crossed my mind to put money into those kinds of things. But yeah, it makes sense for something like you know your business where you're trying to. You don't really need you know like the the repeat people coming back. You're not trying to build a community out of people who fucking love gift wrapping. Although maybe you are. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, so I guess for me it's more like. Like I know you can tailor where your ads show up, but like, like I'm not gonna try to get traction on Instagram or Twitter because that's strictly internet. Yeah. Like I don't care that someone in Florida likes my post because mm-hmm. they they're not going to be a customer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or or <laughs> oh god, that's the other thing that sucks about like you know because. You know, you, so you can choose who who you boost it to, right? Or like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can get real, you can get real targeted, real granular. But it's also like the default is friends of friends, which is often a good way to like grow your business. But then it's like, cool, I have all these impressions from people in you know, like Russia, <laughs> all these all these <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin mining bots and fake cam girl uh, spam accounts in Russia that some idiot on my friends list decided to friend all of them and now they all see my facebook ads this is a great use of my ten dollars yeah exactly so yeah i just it's just kind of mad yeah that has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about tonight Mm-mm. <laughs> but that's fine yeah but yeah so anyway should we do a podcast i guess we should probably do a podcast huh yeah okay are we just do are we just ending the year with cold opens or are we gonna like actual open Right I don't know. I my intuition is that we should just like hit record as soon as soon as the call starts. Because huh. I cold clock you with these random ass. You you <laughs> you are built for cold opens. You are a cold open machine. You, the only person who could ever be better at cold opens. Remember Frank, Frank. Santa Maria Frank, Josh's friend Frank. Oh yes 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 yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Just a hundred thousand percent stony baloney, and then just be like, "Well, do you? What do you think of? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that man is a sponge of data. Not 
information or wisdom. <laughs> Just David. <laughs> and, and it was all, he loved me. Because he would ask oh, the most yeah. random questions. He'd be like, what do you think of the idea that we're all living in a simulation? You know? <laughs> and just like the stoniest oh, conversation yeah. starters in the world. And every single other person would be like, I don't know, Frank. Like, I guess. <laughs> right? <laughs> sure. And yeah. I'd be like, well... I've actually yeah. thought about this topic a lot. I, yeah, dude, I love, I love, Frank. I know he doesn't listen, but if yeah. he ever does, yeah, I love Frank so much. I love you, Frank. He, yeah. So what I've, what I had come to learn about him as I lived with him for yeah. more and more weeks and months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He calls people out mm. on their claims. And then if you can back up your claim, he immediately respects you or like oh. you you've like passed the test kind of sure thing. sure for example for you uh <laughs> he's like oh so you're a you're a diehard lakers fan huh and you're like yeah and he's like okay and he just knows these things and he's just like there have only been, ever been five numbers retired on the, <laughs> on the lakers uh, do you know what those are and you and you dropped it you dropped all of them including <laughs> the one from before they were the lakers and he's like i thought that would get you and you're like ah and, he, and like ever since then he was just like this guy's cool <laughs> or like he'll he'll like I was super into comics at the time too. And so he'd be like, well, <laughs> well, this all... random ass character. Well, <laughs> yeah, dude, he, the other thing is, so I don't smoke weed anymore, but yeah. like living with three guys that did, or two guys and a girl that did every single day. Yeah. The, our train of our conversations would go as soon as I get home, I'd be tired. He'd yeah. lean over and he'd be like, well, let's get you well, high right now well and i'll be like okay <laughs> and so i get blitzed and then he'll look at me wait for me to like start like uh, uh, dropping my head and stuff and then he'll be like will what if i made you a quesadilla and i'll be like <gasps> i love <laughs> that that what if I made you a quesadilla and what if we're all living in an alien simulation are the <laughs> the exact same question with the same importance and intonation to him. Yeah. It's Dude, beautiful. Frank was so cool. I love Frank so much. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what he's doing these days. Hi, Cricket. Last time he and I talked, he was coaching a basketball team. Oh, perfect. Of just little impressionable youngsters. Yeah, who knows what's going on there? <laughs> but yeah. um, he's—I I love Frank. He's so great. <laughs> but he, yeah, he just knows those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he—he he would spend his time clicking through Wikipedia links, and, and it's the best. He would remember the these way, things. It's the best pastime in the world. It's—it's it's insane. Like <laughs> he has zero personal investment in the lakers or in <laughs> in pokemon or or comics but like he just knows and remembers these things so he'll be yeah. like will do you remember do you remember that one episode of pokemon with the pikachu with blue eyes that surfed and i was like yeah <laughs> and he's like and then do you, do you, and then you know how they put that in Pokemon Yellow, and you could actually teach your Pikachu surf, but it was in the anime first. I'm like, yeah, yeah. like 
I watched it, but <laughs> why are we having this conversation around? It's like, oh, I just want to know if you do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God bless people like that. So anyway, this is Hype is My Superpower. <laughs> it's a podcast where we talk about the things that are hyped on, particularly <laughs> comics, and right now, the novel Nomon by Nick Harkaway. And I'm Steve Storm in Brooklyn, New York, one of your hosts. Join me there it is. via the Miracles of Modern Technology, my good buddy, Will Freeland. Yeah. yeah. Hi. Hi. Hello. Regarding cold opens, I was thinking, I'd just if we don't find anything that makes us laugh, just start it with with the intro, but you know, yeah. Poor Nibs has to sit through poor however Nibs. many minutes of this. Oh no, I'm not audacity. Yeah, That's I fine. I just turned it on stealthily while, <laughs> while we were talking. Hope you wouldn't notice me screwing up. <laughs> so, I've been recording this whole time. Of course. What else are you up to, man? What's good? Let's see. I have a very nosy dog. Right how's the how's the uh, the gift wrapping biz going? Gift wrapping has been fine. So with supply shortages being a threat right now, I'm trying oh. to get, well, supply shortages just in general for the yeah. general consumer. Yeah. I'm trying to kind of get people aware now so they can start buying some presents now. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of get the ball rolling on gift wrapping a little bit early to inspire some early birds. Nice. And then, Fingers are kind of crossed for, you know, post-Thanksgiving. There'll be some more orders or people reaching out. Heck yeah. Awesome. You you had a uh, a session at a local local mall today? Yeah, a little little collectible collector collectible shop called uh, Dream Dream World Collectibles. They started up in Simi Valley like 20 something years ago. Awesome. They have a shop down in Ventura. They just opened up about a year and a half ago, and they have another one here that they just opened up about a month ago. Awesome. And you got sucked yeah. in by the Pops? Oh, man. Those so, Funko Pops. Those Funko Pops, man. So Did you do it? So I was living with you um, <laughs> when I first, when I finally broke and got some pops because my sister bought me oh, my first yeah. pop. Blame Christmas. it all on her. Sure. Dude. It's her dude. fault. For years, I'd wanted to buy pops, and I've never done it because I knew that I would break. It would break my wallet. It would break my shelf. It, I can't. I could not buy pops. And then my sister goes and buys me a pop for Christmas. Yeah. And I was like, well. <laughs> it's out of my hands now. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I have the first one. I had to keep going. Uh, so first hit, First hit's always free, man. Yeah. Then the first couple of years, I accumulated like 130 some odd pops, <laughs> which is nothing compared to people who actually collect pops, by the way. Right. Just want to throw that out there. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Self-control man over here. <laughs> and <laughs> since then, I have stopped buying pops that weren't Spider-Man. And even on top of that, I don't even buy Spider-Man villains anymore. It's just like Peter Parker and his other and his and his amazing suits. friends. Some of his amazing friends, primarily <laughs> only Gwen and and Miles. Typically. Okay, and they they take up the entertainment center under the TV. 
my wife doesn't want me to buy any more because I have one full row on the <laughs> entertainment center. Like yep. If I buy any more, then they're starting a second row and it's totally fine. So anyway, <laughs> one of the other collections I have are the five Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yes. I also have Alpha 5. I also have the five Rangers from the movie remake from a few years ago. Mm. I don't have like Rita Repulsa or Lord Zed or Goldar and all that kind of stuff. The thought has crossed my mind, but I never did it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's a Megazord pop that has eluded my grasp. Oh, so this was something that you had sought out and... Yeah. Okay. I didn't know the backstory. You t- you were posting about this in group chat, and yeah. I just thought that you saw, you know, shiny thing, I want no, this. And no. I was just going to troll you relentlessly for having absolutely no willpower. Well, so season one Megazord I've wanted for quite some time. Okay. It was a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive uh, in like 2017 or 2018. I think we went 2018. So I guess no, it was we like went, 2016. We went 2019. We went 2019? Yeah. I don't know. It was before we went. <laughs> and then since then, they've done a Dragon Zord. They've done a White Tiger Zord. And I'm going to be honest. I think this is the first time I've seen the Ultra Zord. Oh, wow. I didn't know it existed until I walked into this shop mm-hmm. and I was like, holy crap. If I can't have Megazord and Dragonzord, if I just do Ultrazord, I'll have them all. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, fudge, man. And it was 80 bucks, which is pretty much asking price for one, the size and two, the rarity. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to sit on it. Let it do its thing. I went to the shop tonight to rap. The guy's telling other people who had walked in, yeah, pops are 20% off tonight. And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> Did you say pops are 20% off? Are you serious? Oh, no. He's like, yeah, man. I was like, even the Ultra Zord? Because it's big. And he's <laughs> like, oh, let me go see. He goes and takes it off the shelf, looks at the price. He's like, oh, it's 80 bucks. Okay. He brings it over. Sits it on the table. He's like, I'll sell it to you for 60. And I was like, shit. (laughs) (laughs) And then he taunts me. He's like, I'm just going to leave this here on the table. Just looking at you. Yeah. So he broke you. He broke me. Yeah. I bought it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to. I'm definitely not going to buy the White Tiger Zord because it's 75 bucks. Mm -hmm. And that's I'm I'm not here for it. The Megazord's only 25. That's a maybe. The Dragon Zord is 75, and the Gold and Black Dragon Zord, which was like a Target exclusive, yeah. is 45. Not really here for it. Megazord's still on the table, but uh, White Tiger Zord's out. And okay. I have an Ultra Zord, and I'm kind of really excited about it. <laughs> Not gonna lie. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, how's that for a uh, just post cold open? We haven't even talked about any comics yet. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, should we talk about comics? Let's talk about comics. Sure. What'd you read this week? Okay. So I only read two books because I'm covering two books from the previous episode. Right. Yeah. Did we finally get to Spider Gush? We'll finally get to Spider Gush. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to do my best. To, uh, depending on how much you ask me, I'm going to shotgun these other two books so we can I can spend most of my time talking about Spider-Man. But anyway, okay. Over the week, I also read Modoc Head Games. 
Oh. And U.S. or John Walker, U.S. agent. Okay. So the the title says John Walker, U.S. agent, but the spine says U.S. agent, and the story is called American Zealot. So, you know, Mm. whatever. Okay. Neither of which were that great, so there's not a whole lot to write home about, (laughs) which gives us the opportunity to talk about Amazing Spider-Man Last Remains and Amazing Spider-Man Last Remains Companion. Okay. It's funny because, like, honestly, Last Remains and The Companion take up 11 issues, but I honestly don't feel like I have 11 issues worth of content to talk about. So that's fun. (laughs) I mean, fine. That's fine. We could talk about, like, throwbacks and stuff, but I really just want to talk about what Kindred does to Spider-Man yeah in this book anyway so first one is modok head games it's written by jordan blum or bloom i don't know and Patton oswald oh okay yeah who both were involved in writing the modok hulu tv series how was that i never watched it you're not missing much but okay i would say it's worth a background watch sure if you're doing something else and you can like semi listen it's okay. worth watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's there are some genuinely pretty funny scenes, but like for I think it's ten episodes. I'd say there's probably like five good scenes. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> so or like there's like three running jokes, but the characters start to actually like the characters. Okay. In the in the show, it's Modok and his wife Jody, and they have a son and a daughter. The daughter is shaped like a little female Modoc, and then the son is just a regular person. Sure. Just like Jody. Yeah. Pat Oswalt and Jordan Blum are the executive producers of the TV show. Okay. So for whatever reason, they were able to make a book. <laughs> I thought it was interesting because the first page in where they have they have like the one paragraph intro of who the character is mm-hmm. to go yeah. into the book. Yeah, they yeah. had a picture of his wife and his two kids from the TV show. Huh? And I was like, "Is are are they? Is this just gonna be a book version of the TV show?" I was kind of pissed, but yeah. turn, turns out it's not. So basically, we come to Modoc at a moment where he and Monica Rappaccini, both from AIM. Yeah, are robbing some tech from Stark uh, from a Stark train. He's having these flashback of some memories of a family that he doesn't recognize, and so he's legitimately just getting visions from the TV show. Mm-hmm. And he's very confused because he's died and been reborn and remade multiple times, and he knows all these deaths, and in none of those existences. Has he ever had a family? So he's very confused. Hmm. Because he had this vision, he kind of botched the mission that he and Monica were on. And so they go back to AIM headquarters and the council on AIM basically all vote him out. (laughs) Okay. Because of his failure. People who are on the AIM like table are basically your go-to AIM people like Taskmaster has been involved with AIM for a while now. He's like, yeah, yeah. He, he trains the AIM soldiers. Andrew Forson, who's kind of like your typical head of AIM in a B-suit with armor. 
Like whenever you think of AIM, the three heads are, it's going to be either MODOK, Monica, yeah. or Forsen. Right. And so now in this version of AIM, they, and the last version too, but they all sit at a table and kind of govern AIM collectively instead of individually. Okay. And then there's a couple other random scientists and Taskmaster and a couple guys in suits. Anyway, they kick MODOK out and MODOK's like, oh, please, <laughs> y'all are ridiculous. It basically ends with random or it continues on with random hijinks, but he wants to know what's going on with this memory. And so he goes to Stark and he's like, there's something up with my memory. You know, computers. Yeah. Help me. <laughs> and, and Stark's like, why should I trust you? And so to buy his way into Stark's help, he, he tips him in the Avengers off on an aim, the next aim sting that's going to happen over at Pym Labs. Hmm. So he gets through that. Anyway, <laughs> the only reason why I'm talking about this part, because it's kind of, it's not consequential, but Stark is like, technology does exist to help figure out what's going on, but it got stolen from me on a train. You wouldn't have to know anything about that. And he's like, oh yeah, they're going to, AIM is currently gathering up tech to go and sell at auction at basically like, villain tech expo in it's in vegas so okay. think of like what is what is the tech expo that actually happens in vegas it's in like january yeah yeah yeah. Uh, ces yes ces so it's basically ces but this is called ctse okay. uh, criminal technology show expo okay <laughs> nice it gives us one of those splashes that's like hey, this person can be seen at CTSE in MODOK issue number two. Uh-huh. So you've got like Stegron and Black Ant and Yellowjacket and Mysterio okay. and Sauron. And for whatever reason, Swarm is here. And huh. like, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So it, it just exists because they want to go and get Stark's stolen tech. The funny thing is MODOK and Stark won't be allowed there so modok modok dresses up as arnim zola <laughs> with his big head <laughs> and then stark dresses up in a in a hydra suit in a hydra goon suit awesome and it's just hilarious that's great it just looks so funny but anyway they get the tech and they find that it's original memories from also we find out that modok doesn't like nazis that's good that's yeah <laughs> good guy modok he sees hate monger and he headbutts him he headbutts <laughs> him and he says f off nazi anyway mental organism designed only for killing nazis yes find out that those memories are implanted from his original programming so he has to go and find the founder while that's happening, AIM goes and hires an assassin to take out MODOK for revenge, and they hire Gwenpool. Oh, okay. Gwen is hanging out on Krakoa, so apparently she's a mutant. I don't remember that part. Okay. But and she was and she was in X of Swords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just further confirmation that she's hanging out on Krakoa. She is <laughs> She's trying to she's trying to get Krakoa to tell her which 
gate will get her to closest to where she needs to go to take out Modok, and Skids is there. Oh. And right, okay. so Skids like, I thought you gave up being a mercenary, and she goes. Fine, you got me, Skids. I'm inconsistent. And then they spend an entire page giving Skids all this shit. <laughs> She's like, uh, but weren't you once like a Madonna pastiche? And then she holds up a sign. X-Factor number seven, volume one. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then an MLF terrorist holds up the same sign, now bigger. New Mutants, number 77, <laughs> uh, volume one. And then an undercover shield agent uh-huh. holds up another sign. Uncanny X-Men, <laughs> number 487, volume one. <laughs> yep. It's like, but hey, congrats on being dusted off and taking off the need in lowercase L limbo. Oh, maybe Hickman will put you in a chart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. So, but so seriously, though, like, seriously, right? though, I want to see some skids. So skids just looks at it. She's like, um, have you tried asking Krakoa in Krakoan? And, and Gwenpool's just like, oh, yeah, font change. And then she just speaks in Krakoan because that's what she can do. And then it tells her where to go. And so she hops in. It's just a really funny sign or a really funny scene. So Modoc has to go back to where he was created, which is called Boca Caliente, which is just hot mouth in Spanish, which is kind of funny. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gwenpool shows up and kind of just, wrecks him oh apparently gwen used her powers to retcon herself into having always been a mutant ah that checks out (laughs) i was wondering i kind of thought that's what was going to happen yeah because of the whole like i want to make sure i don't get canceled right thing and also that she had always lived in 616 oh interesting that almost rings a bell okay there was a storyline with her finding her brother who came over at the same time and he wanted nothing to do with her. And it was a whole thing. And okay. she kind of had a falling out with her family. I don't know. It, sure. But interesting. Got it. Cool. Good for her. But so she actually defeats Modok, slices his head open, and in doing so, sees a projection. He projects these visions of his family out. Mm-hmm. And then Gwen is like, yay me, I won because I'm the hero and you're <laughs> the villain. And then she sees the pictures and she says, a family, they're humanizing you. This is your book. And I'm just the guest star. And I, oh God, I killed you. <laughs> so she sighs and then she does her page breaking thing. Yeah. And she goes and picks up the issue that we're in right now from the stands and goes and rewrites the issue. (laughs) (laughs) So basically the two pages where he's dead and she kills him are one actual just like physical page. And so she's like, okay, guys, go back and just cut along this red dotted line and (laughs) pretend like it never happened. (laughs) And then literally the next page he's alive and like continuing on the story. I just thought that was so cool. I love Mm -hmm. Gwenpool. It's she's such a weird, interesting character. Totally. Totally. (laughs) So anyway, she gets him rebooted with the help of forge. Modoc goes and finds the founder in Butterville, Ohio. Okay. Turns out the founder's name or he is aim agent zero zero one. And his name is Alvin Tarleton. He is Modoc's oh. father. Yeah, I was going to say a tarlatan is 
Yeah, Mod- George yeah. Tarleton is Modoc. Was Modoc or was the person who became Modoc? <laughs> yeah, so silly. Yeah, he asks Alvin. Modoc asks Alvin like about Jody and who that is, and he's like, "Wait, are you talking about J O D one I? That's like the failsafe program I had built into your into your head." And he's like, "Oh, oh no, you're kidding," because I have these memories of this other of this family. Like, explain it to me. What's going on? He's like. Ah, uh, you're just being ridiculous. And then we have Modoc lashing out at his father scene because his dad was always disappointed in him. And that's why he tricked him into thinking that he needs to be more. So he went and did the Modoc program to become what he is today. So on and so forth. The town of Butterville is full of a bunch of adaptoids mm. instead of actual people. And it ends with Modoc, I think, locking his father away. I don't think he actually killed him. Basically, he trapped him in an escape, basically, in a computer <laughs> program and closed the program. Interesting. <laughs> so can be used later, I guess. But anyway, he takes the adaptoids and reprograms them to be his three family members from the TV show. His wife's name is Jody. His son's name is Lou. And I forget what his daughter's name is, but doesn't really matter. I guess it may matter going forward, but he kind of pulled a vision and created a family. And now he has them as his like minions and they're super adaptoids. So they have a shit ton of fighting proficiency and killing ability. Really the two main takeaways of this is he has his own Modoc team and his dad exists in the 616. Interesting. Okay. I don't think we've ever seen Alvin Tarleton before. Yeah. That... We just kind of expanded the universe. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, I feel like with the books that I read, there's so many parallels when you get to the big picture each week. It's like last episode was a lot of parallel universe type stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then this, this episode, we're doing like, Family member stuff. Because <laughs> in U.S. Dude, okay. U.S. agent didn't make sense. So, huh. sorry. We're moving on to U.S. agent. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John Walker, U.S. agent. Again, the first thing I wonder is how much of this are they taking away from the Disney Plus show? I feel like almost none. Interesting. Okay. Because this is not the story of a John Walker from Disney Plus. Okay. Cool. Yes, I guess. Okay. But, like... It's just because he had the most punchable face in the world, the actor. Yeah, it's true. But like the pacing and the twists and the storytelling was not good. No. It's written by a guy named Priest, and that's it. I don't know this name. I don't know if I've read them before. Yeah. But like, that's what they go by. At least with Taboo, I knew it was because he was from Black Eyed Peas, but I don't know (laughs) anything about Priest. There's so many twists and like, oh, this person's actually working with this other person that we thought was working with someone else earlier, but is now working with this person who has, who actually has a connection with this other person. So because of how many random hoops they're jumping through, like I almost, (laughs) I almost want people to read it to be as lost as I was. Yeah. But because of all the twists, without going like page by page recapping this book, all I can really say is 
that John Walker doesn't work for the government anymore. They have a U.S. agent program that used to be John Walker, but he's been let go and is now kind of this guy, April Manning, who's a black guy Mm -hmm. who was the next one on the list for them to reach out to. And this program is like, can be activated by government employees to send them to do a thing. April Manning, he has formal fighting experience, but he's not a super soldier. Hmm. John Walker is super soldier-esque. He got his powers from the power broker, but it, you know, it's it's like one of the iterations of an attempt at recreating the super soldier serum kind of thing. Hmm. So John Walker, it doesn't need anything, but April Manning takes a shot of this glowing blue goop. <laughs> sure. That gives him like five minutes of super soldierness. Okay. We also, we get a view into John Walker's siblings. Hmm. We start the book with the first issue ending, implying that the antagonist is going to be his sister, Kate. or KD Walker, we get brief moments explaining that John grew up trying to follow in their older brother's footsteps. Uh, His older brother's name is Mike. KD is trying to follow in John's footsteps. Hmm. And this this entire story is centered around this town in Ohio called a frame a frame virginia virginia not ohio yeah interesting and it's where this company called virago has like a giant warehouse v-i-r-a-g-o oh okay turns out we don't really care so (laughs) (laughs) like we get introduced because it's this podunk town of bunch of hicks and they're just kind of living their life sure then virago comes in buys up a bunch of land puts a giant warehouse there planes are coming in and out but they it doesn't generate any extra jobs doesn't Mm. they don't doesn't generate any extra commerce yeah we don't know why virago gets blown up and then in response to that, John Walker shows up. John okay. Walker shows up with this other Asian guy who's apparently, he, he's not Asian. He's drawn Asian and he hates being called Chinese because he grew up in New York, I think. They never actually say what ethnicity is. Mm. He looks very much, you know, of Asian descent. Sure. Anyway. Turns out. (laughs) (laughs) You're starting to sound like me doing the 90s comics. Yeah. This thing didn't make sense. And this thing didn't make sense. And then this happened. And who knows why? So the explosion was because the Hicks blew it up. Because they were pissed at it, I guess, because it's destroying their town. Turns out that was a shell company for S.H.I.E.L.D. at the time. It was one of their warehouses. Okay. And there's something being held below it. Then we found out that (laughs) there's actually some things being held below it. Sure. And from the explosion, a fuel cell disappeared, which was keeping something at bay down there. And we need to deal with it. And... Kate, who was a blonde, 
is now pink haired and okay. apparently her exposure to the radiation of a broken fuel cell is what causes hair to change color <laughs> and also incites psychosis because John Walker is going and he keeps on running through all these shields because none of them are adamantium or vibranium. <laughs> and we have Kate. That's kind of funny. It is kind he of just, funny. He just kind of breaks shields willy-nilly. He does. Almost every issue, he goes through a shield. Okay, that that that's, that's great. <laughs> in, in like the fourth issue, you see the back of the little jumper jet that he has. There's just like a whole line of shields. It's kind <laughs> of funny. <laughs> but we have April Manning, who we find out has been sleeping with Katie. So they might be on the same team, perhaps. But then Katie is going to go and steal one of the things that was being kept below the facility. And it turns out to be one of the sixth generation helicarriers that has the propellers. Okay. And then John Walker is like, okay, but like, why is that? What Like, where's the radiation? There must've been something below the helicarrier that it's actually keeping at bay. And it's one of the failed... One of the, f- <laughs> you didn't know that <laughs> You're this trying. happened. You're trying. You didn't know this happened, but no. when DaCosta was in charge of AIM yeah. and they had the AIM Avengers. Yeah. Bobby DaCosta Sunspot. Yeah. The, the government created what is called the American Kaiju. And okay. it's a guy. Mm-hmm. Think, think the nuke program. Yeah. But they put every single experimental serum into him. I love it. What could possibly go wrong? So you're talking gamma radiation. You're talking a pretend super soldier serum. You're talking uh, the legacy serum. You're talking the, the, the serum that Doc Connors used to turn into the lizard. You're speaking my love language. This is great. So this guy (laughs) turns into legitimately a Godzilla. Uh huh. With an American flag tattooed on his body. Beautiful. Yes. And he only says USA in red, white, and blue letters. And he screams USA. So, in like the second volume of AIM Avengers, we have an AIM Avengers Megazord fighting American Kaiju. Anyway. Yeah. American Kaiju is locked up somewhere to be used later if they want. Sure. What's under this class, the sixth class helicarrier is a failed Kaiju experiment. And it's like this giant blue electric dragon. Yeah. It doesn't say what happened to the dragon. I think it dies, but like I I see no reason why this there's any reason why this should be a US agent story, but I'm really oh, enjoying not. this 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 <laughs> just absolutely madness of a recap here. Yeah. So we also find out that the blue junk that April Manning is injecting himself with is like an energy blood transfusion transfusion from that blue dragon monster. Oh, so you just you you're just taking sh- shots of the jungle juice. You're just you're just putting your cup in the punch bowl and just whatever comes out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's nothing could possibly go wrong there. 
It sounds like a great idea. No. And Kate took some shots of it too. And that's why she's starting to lose it also on top of the radiation poisoning. I don't don't know. (laughs) Also, and we didn't even really talk about this. (laughs) You're falling apart here and it's glorious. It's it's not good, man. And then, (laughs) so April Manning. So, so the Asian guy who's not Asian. Sure. I don't even think we get a name of him. He apparently inspired slash trained April Manning back in the Bay of All Saints in Brazil. Okay. And so April Manning calls him master. He looks the exact same from years ago. So like, I don't know what's going on with him. Yeah. Something seems to be up with him. But he came there with John Walker. Okay. And what was U.S. Asian's black sidekick guy's name? Battlestar. Actually, I don't know why he shows up. About Star showed up. <laughs> great. All-time great sentences, yes. So, because, oh God. So, John Walker got sent there. He got activated, quote-unquote activated, because some other government official who was stationed in Nebraska wanted a revenge on Val Cooper and so gave her a mess to clean up. So, he as an employee who still has access, sends John Walker out, even though he's not mm-hmm. U.S. agent anymore. Mm-hmm. And so Val Cooper set, sends Battlestar to go and stop him. And then April Manning, who is the licensed current <laughs> U.S. agent, has beef with Battlestar because as a Black man, he, he didn't like take any of the spotlight Mm-hmm. He always let John Walker be the spotlight when they were U.S. agent and Battlestar slash originally Captain America and Bucky. Right. And so Manning has it out for him. And so he beats the shit out of him mm-hmm. for being a sellout and being a nothing. And then that's when the Asian guy, the Asian, not Asian guy shows up and is like, what the hell's going on here? And Manning is just like, Hi, master, whatever you want, just let me know. And he's like, don't, I, I don't know what you're talking about. He denies knowing this guy, but, but, but St. Uh, <laughs> April Manning is just like, that's fine. You know, I, that's fine. I, I have some other stuff I need to go do. And so he's like, okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine like the end of every single one of these scenes is all of the characters just like, they have this like bizarre conversation that's like completely unparsable. And then they just go, okay, doop de doop de doop de doop de doo and just walk away. Dude, it makes no sense. <laughs> I don't know where a U.S. agent got this biplane to get on top of the helicarrier. Fucking love putting people on top of the helicarrier in increasingly bizarre situations. Yeah. John Walker and April Manning have a final standoff. John Walker gets his ass handed to him. And then the helicarrier crashes. The only thing we see with the dragon is John shoves his fifth shield into (laughs) one of the scales and then leaves it. And we don't see the dragon anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a dude the job? (laughs) My work is done here. Right. I have littered. 
Kate <laughs> takes one of the old shields that John already busted up and cuts it into the shape of the original Captain America shield. And because she wants to be the new U.S. agent. Now they're just trying too hard. Yeah. But then April Manning shoots her face. And so she. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't know if she dies because (laughs) (laughs) he shoots like, okay. So one page, he shoots her in the face, right? Seems to be in the eye. The next page, she's on the ground. The blue stuff is everywhere, but her eye is still there. Like shoot her with a paintball gun. She still very much still has her entire face, but she like her voice peters off. And then we never see her for the rest of the issue or the book. So, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's so <laughs> there. Everyone is tied in with everyone. Everyone's got a history. We don't know what side we care about. We don't know what side we're rooting for. And it's all told in this happened in the past yeah. because it starts with uh, an X factor style in- interrogation mm. asking the folks of the town what happened okay so uh, it doesn't no it's good to see you unhinged like this dude it's not great (laughs) (laughs) should we move on is there anything else no i'm trying to give you an out here i'm trying to throw you a rope you don't have to do this any longer if you don't know (laughs) it ends with asian not agent asian hanging out with john walker and john walker being on the phone with val cooper and she's like, actually, we don't want you to be U.S. agent because you apparently are more effective not being a government employee. So keep in touch. Sure. Cool. I don't like I don't even know what the takeaway is here. They introduced his younger yeah. sister, but then seemingly killed her off. Yeah. We have a reference to American Kaiju program, which was the worst program the 616 has ever introduced. <laughs> Again, I see nothing wrong with this. We, shush. We get introduced to April Manning, who is the current U.S. agent, but he's hopped up on drugs and he collapses the last time we saw him. I don't know what his story is. And then Asian, not Asian, I don't even think has a name. He calls John Red because he's a redneck. And I just, I just, it. (laughs) I'm moving on to Spider-Man. Let's move on to (laughs) Spider-Man. We we ate our vegetables. Let's get get to the good stuff. Okay. Spider-Man, last remains. Oh, geez. All right. So last time was Return of the Green Goblin. Right. And you had Peter and Norman Osborn. Norman Osborn has been the head of, or like the in charge of a asylum for the criminally insane, because yes, that's exactly where you'd want him to be. Sin Eater has been going around killing Spider-Man villains and found out yet Norman is next as as Green Goblin and oh, oh also when the villains die they come back with their sins absolved but Sin Eater gets their powers yada 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 but Sin Eater is working for Kindred who is a pile of bugs but not swarm pile of bugs some other sort of bug thing mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. and so Norman returns as Green Goblin takes the serum again and he and Peter have a team up because Peter decided he's going to save him and so 
all in all, you know, yada yada, running around, he becomes Green Goblin again, and I think that's where it ended. Mm-hmm. Last one. Okay. And then <laughs> Sinitar took Juggernaut, Juggernaut's powers. Okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And Osborne and Pete teamed up to stop Sinitar, and that was its own little like glory moment. And then. Pete's hate of Norman and Norman's egging got the better of him. Mm -hmm. And so he left him back at the asylum to be at basically Sin Eater's mercy. Okay. The order of the web is involved. All the, all the spiders. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Julia Carpenter, the current man of web was trying to talk him out of saving Norman and he did it anyway. Mm -hmm. Oh man. Oh man. All right. So let's see. Relevant things. Norman gets shot by Sin Eater. Yep. Sin Eater is also back to normal size. It's almost okay. like the Juggernaut boost never happened. Sure. Which, thankfully, because that was ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> like, I, I, we talked about this when we, when we Eat went some real big sins. <laughs> but, like, it's just when you have a villain that has a tried and true method that is working. Right. Don't give him a giant power up that he doesn't need. Like it's always going to blow up in his face. Like the first, the furthest back I can think of is like Aladdin and Jafar. Yes. I will become the genie. Yeah. If he didn't become a genie, he would have won. He was set. That would have been it. Yep. Dumbass. Don't, (laughs) don't get that last power up. It's so ridiculous. (laughs) Sin Eater took on jugs and he got yoked af didn't mm-hmm. even have a neck because he took on the form of a juggernaut with a helmet which doesn't make sense but right now you're big and hulking when your entire fear mongering archetype was you're this like slow hulking thing anyway it just it just didn't make sense anyway so they took they got a rib for next time he showed up in the next issue so norman gets shot and when sin eater did that he got all these nasty like hallucinations from kindred and all this crap and basically this is kindred being like i don't need you anymore i'm out Mm. We took we took out Norman. That's all that mattered. Interesting. Yeah. And so he takes all of that energy, all that like sin energy, takes it from Sin Eater and basically gives it to the Order of the Web. Huh. And they all become these like misshapen demons. And that's what's on the cover of the companion. Interesting. They basically become these like possessed demons that go around terrorizing New York. So that's what's happening to them, and that, and, and we follow what happens to them more closely in the companion. Sure. Now, while that's happening, Kindred is getting ready for the big reveal, the big okay. event. Yes. And he's in a cemetery, and we see that he dug up a grave. Sure. And we see the gravestone, and that gravestone is Captain George Stacy. Oh. And you're like, oh my gosh, what is happening here? Yeah. Now that I know who he is, I see the lead up. But like at this point, I don't know what the hell's going on. Okay. He goes and gets Captain George Stacy. He's like this zombified body and he puts it at like a dinner table. Sure. Um, sitting up like attending a dinner table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next page we see he also went and dug up Gwen Stacy. 
Oh. Put her at the dinner table. Okay. And you're like, oh Lord. Like this is this is this wow. Is, <laughs> this is macabre. This is this is some dark yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. Kindred's going ridiculous. And then we uh come across a an absolved a sin absolved Norman, and he is talking to Dr. Kafka. Dr. Kafka has recently passed away and been brought back during the clone conspiracy thing. <laughs> it is what it is. Not a big deal. Anyway, she <laughs> understands that she died and she still believes in the work. And so that's why she's working at Ravencroft. She's one of the head scientists or doctors, psychiatrists, whatever there. Sure. And she takes on interviewing Norman to figure out what's going on. Okay. Norman's freaking out. He's like, this is all my fault. The guy's name is Kindred. We have to save him. Blah, blah, blah. And Kafka's like, the hell why why do we need to help him why are you so concerned about helping this man you claim is such a danger to us all he says because doctor he's my son huh turns out kindred is harry osborne and it's hilarious not hilarious but like i dude we haven't seen harry in the comics in so long i legitimately forgot about him <laughs> he hasn't been in any of Spencer's run of Spider-Man and we're now 55 issues in. Yeah. Like he's 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 gone, man. I don't yeah, even, yeah, yeah. I don't know when the last time I saw him was. I spent a lot of time not reading comics before our pod and yeah. so I can't accurately tell you where I saw him last and how long ago it was. Okay. But it was a long ass time ago. Sure. They do a flashback with Harry giving Pete crap back to Brand New Day, wow. which was when they did the giant timeline wipe yeah, at the yeah, end of yeah. Straczynski's run. And that was back in like 2008. It's a long ass time ago. It was a long ass time ago. Yeah. Eight, I think, is even too late because it was like right after. No, yeah, it had to have been like 2000. Six ish. Anyway, yeah. point is, Harry has not been on screen in quite some time. So now we know who Kindred is. Pete still doesn't. Sure. We get Silk, a possessed Silk, fighting Pete. And he has since gone to Doctor Strange to ask for help to try to find find out what's going on because all this mystical stuff is going on. Yeah, yeah. Strange, he's like, okay, I got you. So they get the hand of the Shanti. Strange and Pete used it way back when they were introducing the concept of the other. So back in Straczynski, in, in Straczynski's yeah, yeah. run. Jeez. Yeah. And he's like, we can use this to follow kind of like the spider energy, blah, blah, blah. So they start and then Strange is like, wait, something's wrong. He's like, Peter, have you ever made a kind of arrangement in regard to your... No, it's impossible. I need to investigate this. Oh. Basically... Some sort of arrangement. My knee-jerk reaction is he's referring to the Mephisto. Yeah, the annulling his marriage in mm -hmm. exchange for Aunt May's life in one but more day. we don't actually know. Yeah. And one moment in time. Oh, one moment in time. One more day was the countdown to Secret Wars. <laughs> Man, sure. Okay. No, yeah. The only reason why I know that is because... Well, one, I've read them all, but one moment <laughs> in time, the acronym is OMIT, omit because we yeah. are omitting, omitting what happened to fucking Peter's bullshit. Anyway, <laughs> so for reasons we haven't actually explored, Strange says we can't use this method anymore. You got to find something else. Hmm. And Pete's like, no. And he's like, and he kicks him out of the uh, sanctum. So Pete, for whatever reason, he goes to the house of Black Cat. 
Turns out he previously earlier went to Black Cat to hire her basically to steal the hand of Ashanti later in <laughs> case this method didn't go down. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yeah. So he cheats and uses the hand of Ashanti. It doesn't go well. And he comes to in the cemetery and finds Kindred. I'm skipping over. Yeah, yeah scenes but kindred's like all right we're good to go now it's a party and we have a a table full of all these dead people Mm. and they're all people who have since died under the quote-unquote watch of spider-man so you've got george stacy yeah you've got gene dewolf you Mm -hmm. have marla jameson you have flash thompson you have gwen you even have Uncle Ben. Oh, you went and dug geez. up all of these bodies. That's brutal. So absolutely brutal. How does how does Harry know all this? How does he become kindred? What I'm 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 certain you're gonna explain all this at, over the resolution of this, but like these are the big questions that I just have to vocalize right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Okay, we'll get we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. So Flash recently died. Yeah. He died during the attack with Red Goblin. So, like, this is only for us, like, two, three years ago. Okay. So not too much time has passed in-universe. So he shouldn't be just a skeleton. I feel like there should be some, (laughs) like, skin decay and shit. But, you know, whatever. Gross, man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying, like, they pull up Uncle Ben. Like, none of these skeletons have any skin. They have yeah. hair yeah. and the clothes they are buried in. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Except Uncle Ben has, like, some spider webs in his skull. Anyway, so after after we see that, so Pete, <laughs> <laughs> Pete's on the wall. His hand is, like, on the wall, his fingertips, and he starts to like tear at the concrete. Yeah. Starting to make a fist. He's pissed. Yeah. So you get a two-page splash of him calling a monster, him calling Kindred a monster and punches the shit out of him. Kindred does not care. So he fights back. And he openly knows who Spider-Man slash Pete is. He says, Oh, Pete, you don't even know the half of it. I'd say they fight, but really. It's Kindred Wails on Spider-Man. And it goes like this consistently. And Spider-Man takes out all the light and he tries and he starts fighting him. And to the point where he gets a fist through Kindred's chest. Okay. Okay. Kindred doesn't care. Kindred, through all this beating, is not dying. Yeah, And he has these giant centipedes that he's like fighting with. He looks, it's reminiscent of Dr. Octopus. He's messing them up. He knocks them into the outside and he shows Pete all of his like spider friends, all possessed, wreaking havoc. And he's like, dude, this is, this is, this is, uh, this is what you get, man. I'm, I'm here to make you pay for all this. And Pete says, they didn't do anything that deserves this. They're not the one you hate. You want to kill someone, kill me. Please, I don't care anymore. Just take me, take me. You know what, Pete? You've got a deal. So Harry, Kindred, undoes all of the possessions on the order of the web. And Pete's like, awesome, cool. They're all okay. I'm happy. So Kindred says, now about that deal. Okay. And then you end 
the issue with a full-on neck snap. Ah. Yeah. Yes. Wow. He gets killed. <laughs> so. Jesus. Yeah, I I had to stop. <laughs> I know for you. For a second. Yes. I was like, oh, what? Excuse me? Because then the next issue goes into this flashback back to when we first got the reset. That issue where they did the um, Mephisto reset yeah. is Pete going to a surprise party for Harry Osborn because he just got back from Europe. Okay. And this is when Pete and Mary Jane broke up. Yeah. But they're both there for Harry. So it's kind of awkward. Carly Cooper yeah. is there. She works for NYPD. She and Pete end up dating down the line. <laughs> anyway, so Pete's having one of these flashbacks. And then you've got Harry being like, don't you remember what happens next? What you said next? And then they're starting to get flashbacks between present and memory, present and memory, present and memory. And yeah. then speak of the devil and kindred speak of the devil and he appears and kindred brings pete back from the dead he has this like revival power sure that we don't fully understand okay is this related to what's going on with sin eater that's how sin eater got brought back yes it's how sin eater got brought back but the the people that sin eater have been killing is is its own thing that's what one would be led to believe that okay. that's how this is happening. Yeah. Well, okay. that's how he got that ability. Yes. So after he brings him back, he takes his mask off to reveal that he is indeed Harry Osborne tormenting Peter Parker. So they have their moment and then they start fighting. And then Kindred seems to not be taking any damage, seems to not be feeling any of any pain. And at this point, may as well call him Harry, but like right. Pete, is like just enraged and he thinks every time he gets a good hit in, he thinks he has the upper hand and he's saying things like, you should have left me dead. And Harry's like, dead. Is that what you think this is about? Killing you? Pete, there is so much about all this you don't understand, which gives him pause. And then he comes, he, he, Harry gets the upper hand again, wraps him up with all of his centipedes, picks up a rock and beats the shit out of him and kills him again. And then brings him back. Good Lord. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. And Pete is <laughs> <laughs> like. This is hard for you. I understand. Well, then we get two pages of different ways that can, that Harry kills Pete and brings yeah. him back. Yeah. And every time he dies, he gets this other flashback of people who he's lost throughout the years and all this other stuff. Like he wow. rips out his throat. He drowns him. He brings him back. He drowns him again. He brings him back. He snaps his neck again. He brings him back. He tears out his insides. He brings him back. Good God. It's, yeah. Brutal. He, he Bane Batman breaks him back, back breaks him. Yeah. And then he brings him back. Like my God, it, it just nonstop. He sets him on fire and brings him back. Why? Yeah. Like, I I don't understand. I don't understand Harry Osborn as a character in his history very well. Yeah. He's crazy. Sometimes he's not crazy. They're friends. Sometimes they're not friends. Uh, like that's, that's about as far you. as I can get with, with Harry. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, that okay. is kind of like up until this point, Harry, I feel like he's continually, kind of just the pawn to another character mm. usually yeah. to norman 
sometimes to Pete. Like right. he's used to motivate or move another character along. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To that point. So he says, you know, you see now, dying is easy. It's something that's done to us. But in hell, we're not punished for the sins of others. We're tortured by our own. You accused me before of going after the people you loved. That's not true. I haven't done anything to them. You have, though. And now you're going to see what it does to them in return. I'm sure you'll want to blame me, Pete, but search your soul. All I did was bring this, bring back the Sin Eater. You were the one who couldn't let that stand. Even when he went after the most evil man you'd ever known. No, you decided, like you always do, that you knew best. Thinking you know better than all of us. That's your job, isn't it? But that's where it takes turn. You've realized the enormity of what you've done. Taking those sin as so, sins as your own, you felt the shame of it. Rather than confront it, though, you tried to bury it. I mean, it's got a point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, dude, would people call Pete out on this shit? Yeah. None of them are wrong. Yeah. It's kind of like... <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. And this is one of the things I'm trying to teach you, Pete, the nature of sin. You cannot run from it. You cannot hide from it. It finds you. And when it does, it comes back worse than ever before. You still weren't ready, though, were you, to confess? No. Instead, you tried to bargain and make a deal with the devil. And he's talking about himself this time. Yeah. The same mistakes over and over. And he said, your arrogance, your hubris. See how it just makes everything worse? And he's giving him visions of Sin Eater was approached by Morlin. Okay. Morlin can only really eat. He only really likes to eat spider totems. Uh-huh. And so he's been starving all this time. And, and we, we, we see the scene in the companion, but basically Sin Eater takes on some of the energy from all of those spot from the, from the web order of the web spiders. Okay. Yeah. And Morland's like, Oh, you smell incredibly tasty and new, but senior gets the better of them and shoots him. But Morland can't be killed. And so we don't really, it doesn't really address. <laughs> he, sh- he shot him with his shotgun in the back of the head. And now, so he's out, but I don't think he's dead. And then okay. senior is now in a cemetery and the six members of the Order of the Web are also in the cemetery to, to try to save Pete. Okay. <sighs> <laughs> and Pete seeing, is seeing all this go down through, like, basically CCTV. And Harry's just like, all you have to do is confess your sins, buddy. All you got to do is confess, confess. And then we see Mary Jane shows up. Oh. Up until this point, Mary Jane has been filming that movie in LA. Right. right. Yep. This is new. Yeah. Anyway, so now we have since gotten rid of the dead bodies for whatever reason, because now we have the Order of the Web and they're tied up at the table. Yeah. And then basically Mary Jane shows up and she's like, hey, what's going on, buddy? Mary Jane knows it's Harry for some reason. We don't exactly know why. Okay. He says, I'm glad to have us all finally together again. She's like, glad to hear it, Harry. He's like, huh, so you know then. Well, that's for the best, I suppose. Come on, have a seat. Uh, you don't know how excited I am to catch up. The stories I could tell. And then Pete freaks out, and he busts out of his containment. And he, he, punches, he punches Kindred in the face hard enough to, like, show, like, get his hand through his head. <laughs> Not all the way through. Because then he shoots webbing through the rest of his head. 
<laughs> this is brutal, dude. That so, is ridiculous. So he punches Kindred here. Yeah. You see, this used to be his mouth. There's his teeth. <laughs> and then the next Lord. cell is a thwip and webbing just coming out of the back of Kindred's oh head. God, dude. Pete uses that webbing to throw Kindred. <laughs> my Lord. Oh, yeah. And then Kindred gets up with a hole in his head, still speaks, says enough, grabs Pete's head and starts filling it with maggots. It, dude. Oh. Visuals in this book. <laughs> yeah. And then we get back and we see that Kindred's head is back. And then MJ yells at him and says, stop. Come on, let's have, let's have dinner. Let's sit down. Let's calm the fuck down. They have some reminiscing. And then we see a vision of outside. MJ is able to keep her cool after seeing that. Yeah, right? Wow. So because we find out that she has an ulterior motive, because she got sent there by Osborne, by, oh, I'm sorry, by Norman. And Norman says, okay, she's in. And so now they need to make a move. Huh. Right? Then there's more exposition and flashbacks. Norman dresses up in his green goblin garb to go in. It turns out that Harry hates Peter because you did this to me. We don't know exactly what this is. MJ and Harry have a checkered past. Yeah. Whenever Harry lost it, or mm-hmm. when, especially when he was the green goblin, he always had a soft spot for MJ. Yeah. He would always tell her, like, I would never hurt you, this, that, and the other. And so she is playing on those old cards, being like, you said you would never hurt hurt me. Like, please, sure. whatever is going on, please just stop. Let's just stop. Let's let's go somewhere else. Just please just stop. And then <sighs> that's when Green Goblin decides to show up. Uh-oh. Gobby throws a pumpkin bomb that knocks MJ the F out and pisses off Harry. (laughs) Yeah. And so now Harry and Green Goblin are going to fight. And as soon as they're about to go fight, Kingpin is outside and he's like, yeah. And he's like, and, and he's on a communicator with Osborne, with Norman and Norman says, now, Fisk, now. And Fisk is outside. He says, begin. And then rumbling happens. And then Harry says, the darkness. And then Pete is holding a passed out MJ. It says, MJ. And she says, don't worry. You're not getting rid of me that easy, Tiger. It's going to be okay. Trust me. And then fade to black. Huh. And that is Last Remains. Huh. This is why I messaged you and the hype hype guys about how pissed I was at Last Remains. The like, ethics guys. Ethics, sorry, yeah. We're the hype I'm guys. I'm super excited that I got to read Last Remains. I'm super excited I got to find out who Kindred is. Uh-huh. The, the, the visuals and the shit that happens. Uh, yeah. Pete dies like 10 times in this book. Yeah. And gets brought back 10 times. But it did not conclude anything. Yeah. Uh, I'm just like, what is Fisk doing as part of all this? Isn't he busy being the mayor of New York? What is MJ doing in all of this? Like she shows up out of nowhere. She seems to know some things that she ought not to. Has Norman been playing like a, a secret role against Harry this whole time in the background? Why does Harry know the things that he does? Is it what, what did he do to him? Why? 
did Harry die? And this is something that's happened to him beyond the grave. It seems like his powers are death based and corpse decay, etc. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, man. A lot of questions. So the cover of volume 12, which is the next volume, yeah. is Norman and Fisk tearing and holding a mask of Spider-Man. So okay. I think volume 12 will be the answer to many of those questions. Sure. I suppose you don't like you can't have Fisk as mayor of New York without him having some terrible plan to to use that power or you know, power mm-hmm. in general against his many enemies, including Spider-Man. Yeah, I just hope it doesn't undo what they're doing with him in Daredevil. In Daredevil, yeah. Because they're really spending some real fun time within Daredevil. Totally, yeah. Companion, we don't really need to go through. It's five issues. One of them is the heist that Black Cat does to Strange. Oh, cool. Two of them are... Basically, the the scuffles that the possessed Order of the Web has with Pete. Uh One issue shows what happened with Morlin. And then another issue is MJ being approached by Norman and being like, listen, this is what's going on. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that explains that, I suppose, at least a little bit. She's like, well, F all the way off, Norman. I know you. He's like, listen... Ignore me. Yeah. I, I know you're not gonna I know you're not gonna trust me with this whole Sin Eater thing, but this is for Harry. I know Harry always had a special bond with so you. So Norman knew that Harry was kindred all the way this far back. I mean, him approaching MJ was like during Last Remains. Oh, okay. So I don't know how long ago he's figured it out. So she's <laughs> so she's been back from California. She took a secret plane trip back. Okay. Well, not secret. So she came to New York for a promo trip for the movie. Uh, okay. And she asked for an extra like three days on the trip so she could go and spend time with Pete. Gotcha. What? Last remains happened. <laughs> gets gets sucked into superhero stuff. Exactly. Just trying to promo a movie, guys. God, I got three <laughs> yeah. days. Uh huh. And then the last, it ends with Senator trying to fight the Order of the Web, and it actually ends with him taking his shotgun to his own head. Wow. Yeah. So the guy, I forget the guy's name, Senator. Yeah. So what had happened, sorry, what had happened was <laughs> he... Sorry, he was like a cop or something? Originally. Yeah, so he was, he's a disgraced cop. He started as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, turned cop, but disgraced. And he actually did suicide by cop back in the day. Okay. He had an unloaded shotgun and a hostage, turned it on the cops and they shot yeah. him kind of thing. Yeah. He's been dead ever since, brought back for this. And he shotgun shoots Julia Carpenter, Mm. gets the visions that she has from the web. He loses it and takes the shotgun to himself. Interesting. Yeah, because he can't handle it. And Julia comes back because that's the nature of the gun. That's when they get captured by Kindred. Okay. So Companion kind of helps deal with the quote unquote loose end that is. Sure. Okay. And then you have like a one page scene of Norman crossing a T with Kingpin 
and it ends with Kingpin saying, Kindred will be ours. Huh. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. Last Remains was... Last Remains. Crazy. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun. Okay. So back to like big picture stuff. Yeah. 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 I, I said I was going to read a couple like books going forward. U.S. Agent and Modoc were not the next books. The next books were Avengers Enter the Phoenix, King Deadpool Volume 2, Fantastic Four Volume 7, but all three of them have King and Black references. Oh. <laughs> so you're on hold until you get so to King and Black. So I had to keep Black. on going further down the shelf until I got some King to non-King and Black, and that was U.S. Agent Modoc. On the bright side... Does that mean that King and Black is next week? King of Black is five books away. So okay. I'm going to read these five books over the next week, assuming they're all not King of Black related. Yeah. <laughs> and then the week after that, I'm reading King of Black. I'm so excited. And there right. are so many side books for King of Black. I don't know if I'll be able to do it in just two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> So that's fine. It may be a three week venture for uh sweet. Black. Hey, I've been on this novel here for <laughs> months now. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, so King of Black was good times. I'm King of Black, Last Remains and Last Remains. Slash Marvel Comics. Yeah. But yeah, so whew. very intense. Doing okay? Yeah. You you all right? I feel like I need to check in with you after that. Dude, watching watching Pete get just maimed like other villains he have had upper hands plenty right. of times right of course but something always stops them right <laughs> something always stops green goblin or pete always figures his way out something always yep. stops carnage venom vermin even vermin was the uh, vermin was like the next one to get that close to actually killing him hmm. and that was the whole craven being able to Vermin, so Craven sees him as as the better Spider-Man. Blah 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 blah. Uh, okay. Craven's gotten the upper hand on Spider-Man. Plenty of people have put Spider-Man through the ropes, but Kindred killed Spider. Like actually yeah. went through with it. Yep. There, there's no like shining light in this guy's heart <laughs> for Pete to like acquiesce to, or just oh. And man. it was, and it was his friend of all. People. And it was his childhood best friend. Yeah. This is why we can't lose touch, by the way. <laughs> we need to keep tabs on each other every yeah, single yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't want you to be all bugging out and shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My God. Anyway, yeah, that was that was absolutely wild. But awesome. anyway, let's let's do, let's do some no. Shall we no man? Let's do it. Ah, let's do some no man. You want to do some recap? So we. Oh God. Okay. One of the things that stands out as I'm looking at my notes is we got to see the witness TV or we got to see the CCTV of what happened to Oliver Smith. Yes. Right. So, yeah. So Neith was investigating the crime scene, the death of Oliver Smith. Yeah. And we have access to all these freaking cameras. But Smith, so Smith is like riding through the tunnel and through a tunnel. And yeah. then his car breaks down for no reason. And yeah. then darkness approached. Like you watch lights go out well, as it didn't gets necessarily approach. It didn't necessarily break down. It just stopped. It's a right. it's a self-driving car. It's probably, you know, it, it's probably con- well, it certainly is connected to the witness, as with all things. And mm-hmm. something, you know, it it just 
didn't get the urge to drive anymore. Yeah. yeah. And then and then Smith tries to run and then he falls. And then the cameras go out. And then something that is now classified by the witness as a shark eats him and spits him out. And he's he's in five pieces. And oh, and then and then she sees Lunrout. Yeah, she sees Regno in the crowd and she chases him and she notices as she's chasing him that all of the TV, all the cameras are like just happen to be looking away. And yeah. that is that is just the most <laughs> interesting fucking he oh my gosh. Anyway, so <laughs> so she goes to Tubman to uh hold on she's going one thing before that. The final place that Lenro leads her to. Before, you know, ducking inside a door and Mm. clanging a bolt and locking her out. The door has the word fire spine on it. Oh, right, 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 right. So Neith is convinced that the witness is fucked. There's something going on with the witness. So she goes to Tubman to to recruit him into her into her little like witness rebellion. And he tells her to download Squid which yeah. is a jailbreak app for yeah. the witness for, yeah. for her, her witness, like Google glasses, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it won't track her like GPS or something like that. Yeah. It, it stops like basically collecting and transmitting data to the witness, but she still has access to all of the other tech. And it also bypasses the witnesses like standard, like request protocols whenever she needs information and just kind of dumps uh-huh. shit on her with all the tools available. Yeah. And so witness ch- uh, checks in and offers to go in deeper and Neith is just like, nah, don't worry about it. I'm good. And then she goes to Waxman, also known as Waxman. And he talks about the five locks needed to unlock the witness. Mm-hmm. And then we, the last thing I have written down here is and that- And the five locks are exactly the same as the the Firespine security systems from right. the Berihun Bekele chapter. Yes. That Firespine being the security system of their company's- yeah, Oh, server. right, 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 right. Their company was called Fire, the Fire Judges. The Fire Judges. And then, um, yes, the last thing I have is that Hunter has a reboot box somewhere. <laughs> Diana yeah. Hunter yeah. Uh, has like a reboot box, which I, which I likened to Hank McCoy's ball of yarn from Astonishing X-Men. Yes. Or from New X-Men. Yeah. New X-Men? Yeah, New X-Men. Something to bring you back when your your consciousness is frayed so far. Yeah. So now I'm starting to wonder if Diana Hunter is going to use Neith to bring herself back. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And we haven't even talked. Like, is is she going to end up becoming? Nomon? I don't know. It's it's a whole it's a whole we don't even we, we need time for th- like <laughs> in, in a couple in a couple in a couple chapters, I think I've found a good spot for us to have theory time. But yes, I want all of these questions from you. Whenever you have one of these questions, I want to hear it. Okay. One other little thing is that so Waxman, he's he's got like a Julian Assange type situation. He, you know, in order yeah. to not go to prison for the rest of his life, he holed up in an, an embassy of some country who is 
you know, neutral or antagonistic or some relation enough to take the diplomatic hit to host an enemy of the state. She so she went to visit him in the embassy and she fell asleep there. And that's when she had these, you know, kind of went back into Diana Hunter's memories and thinking about the reboot box. Got you. Chapter 13. It is called Require Me to Pretend. It is another sans serif chapter. It is from the perspective of Barry Hoon Bekele. He's back. Mm. Quick recap of the first Barry Hoon chapter, because it's been a little while. He's from Ethiopia. As a young man, he had a spiritual experience as a party where he seemed to understand some unseen aspect of the world. This became his muse, the muse of his work as an artist. He regularly he would paint five panel paintings, gain some international renown. At some point later, he was held captive in the famous prison Alan Bekagen, whose pronunciation I'm going to repeatedly destroy. I couldn't find a good pronunciation guide anywhere on the internet, so you're just gonna have to cringe whenever I say it. And Barry Barry Hoon is the grandfather of of Annie. Of Annie who made the the witnessed. Yeah. Who made right. witnessed the video game. Yeah. And she wanted him to do the art for the game. Yes. And he did. And he made the app Walking While Black. Yes. So he was held captive in Ellen Bekagen and then escaped, but claims not to remember, uh, claims to not remember how. He then moved to the UK and founded a home security business. Some decades later, he decided to learn about computers from his tech genius granddaughter, Annie, who, with her partner, Colson, founded a company called Fire Judges, whose central security server was called Firespine. Instead of learning about computers, Berhun got press ganged into doing the art for her the art design for her video game witnessed which bears more than a passing resemblance to the witness the game turned into a huge success but as a black woman in gaming this put a target on her back for post-brexit racists and nationalists uh, the chapter opened and closed with barry hoon annie and colson trapped inside his house as a bomb goes off outside then the house is set on fire he takes them to his safe room and wishes he remembered how he walked through the walls of his prison in Ethiopia, as he'll need to do so again here. Right. And that was it, huh? Yep. The chapter both opened and closed on that bomb attack. So we start with an explanation of what it means to walk through walls. And it's kind of like part of the LSD slash psychedelia slash power of the mind focus on this of the 60s. Actually, have you ever seen the movie uh, The Men Who Stare at Goats? No. Okay. Fantastic movie. George Clooney, Jeff Bridges, Kevin Spacey came out in like 2009. It's based on sort of like real characters, real stories of units within the military and the CIA who wanted to do this, like unlock the power of the mind. We're going to walk through walls. We're going to kill goats by staring at them. They called like the Jedi unit or the first earth battalion manual is uh, this chapter actually references the inspiration for the characters in that movie, Lieutenant Colonel Jim Channon. But anyway, uh, quote, which was going to teach soldiers to be more than human, how to kill with their minds and levitate over the Iron Curtain. Anyway, it's a good movie. Mm. You know, this is my entrance into remembering, oh, yeah, this was a real thing that he's talking about. And then another quote here, the whole world, in other words, was in the grip of the most marvelous psychic bullshit. And we were primed to believe in almost anything. But it's a different thing to walk through walls when you're in prison, and we'll get back to that. A lot of this chapter kind of deals with Berhun's complicated relationship with Ethiopia, and so I wanted to read this quote on the subject. 
He says, when I was a painter, I painted our modern transformation, the blending of our old country and the sudden and disconcerting arrival of the new and gave it to the wider world. When art abandoned me, I became a purveyor of that commodity most sought and least available in the city where I was born, security. And now, in what must likely be the last act of my age, I have returned to art and am designing the future. As the emperor, he's talking about Haile Selassie, the emperor of his childhood in Ethiopia. As the emperor did, though with the obliquity of the millennium, I have built a future to be avoided and hidden within it hints of the one to be desired. I am the sum of my country, however tenuous our lingering connection, and even if my Ethiopia traveled down a path at an angle to the rest of the world and was replaced by one that does not welcome me and that I have never seen. Just that little phrase in there, angle to the rest of the world, one of the many definitions of gnomon, something which juts out at an angle. Oh, the uh, like the paint or the, it's not a painting, but it's like an art piece that was like the, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So mm-hmm. the, I mean, the literal de- definition of gnomon is like a, a sun, like the sticking up part of a sundial or anything in mm. that shape, you know, a thing that sticks out from everything else. Jumping ahead, the narrative takes uh, picks up again uh, right after he gives the TV interview in which he announced his app Walking While Black that we talked about in the last Barry Hoon chapter. He walks off stage and meets up with his son, Michael, and realizes that he's made good on their long feud, which basically boils down to their generational differences and experiencing racism and the black experience in London. As an immigrant and a refugee, Barry Hoon feels like Michael doesn't know what it's, what it's like to be an outsider in a white country, you know, not knowing the rules, not knowing how to, you know, sort of like deal with everyone seeing you as different and not belonging and that being so obvious in in your skin color and to illustrate he tells a story about being at a party with a jazz trumpeter trumpeter who the brits call zulu even though he's from the caribbean not southern africa and at the party barahoon is drunk and he's looking for something to eat quote so i reached for a banana an exotic import then in london and something of a delicacy donnie snatched it from my hand and put it back on the tray everything but he said We don't eat the fucking bananas. Trust me. He added as I went to object. If you ever once known to eat a banana in public, the next thing will be a picture. And then there will be bananas everywhere. And all those skinheaded pricks will be laughing at you your whole life. Even when they give you a prize for art and you live in a mansion, that fucking picture will crop up everywhere forevermore. But Barry Hoon feels like, you know, that was the 60s. Shit like that is less less acceptable now. He says, I had suffered... Britain's stupider days, not Michael, and I would judge whether the salvation of Ethiopia from occupation in 1941 that Britain helped out with, you know, was instrumental in helping take place. I would judge whether that salvation made up for the unconsidered prejudice of Britain decades later, and in my judgment it did. Friends could be unfeeling and stupid and still be friends when you needed them, and that did not make them the Derg. The Derg is the pseudo-communist group who did a coup of Ethiopia and deposed Haile Selassie. Uh, The world was imperfect, and Britain was better than most anywhere else. That was how it was, and Michael should grow up and understand it. You know, Michael, on, on the other hand, feels like Barry Hoon doesn't understand what it's like to 
grow up black and have this, you know, this racist place be your home and want this acceptance and, and equality within it. He says, that bad night, we drew back from the brink. Michael thanked me for proving his point. I thanked him for accepting mine. Then he said he was ashamed of me. And I told him young hotheads are always ashamed of their parents. And he said most young hotheads didn't have a reason. But he was saddled with a father who was a collaborator, like a collaborator with the highly uh, Selassie, you know, terrible regime. Well, he was right and I was right. And we both knew it, I think. But we were too alike to find the common ground. There we froze, thank God, held between wounding spite and deep mutual need. I could no more tell him to get out than he could tell me he was leaving. We had friends, both of us, and girlfriends, but in all the world, we, only, we really only had each other, and we knew it. The fight was forgiven, but never unsaid and never forgotten. For a while, I was proud to have spoken my mind, and then I thought I had been trying to protect him, and finally admitted that I had just been upset because he seemed to have no idea who he was in a generational sense. And if that was anyone's fault, it was mine. Hmm. I just think that's a really interesting, you know, scene and conflict and way to tie up yeah. a relationship. Anyway, as he finally puts the fight with Michael behind him, Colson calls tells Barry Hoon he's a dangerous lunatic, but offers to build a test version of the Walking Wall Black app by the next week. They set up, you know, security and uh, they up their security and move communication to the, to the spine and start doing planning on expansion packs and a film tie-in for Witnessed. And as for the Walking Wall Black app, it says, opinion was split on the left as to whether the app was a grassroots effort against casual racism or the beginnings of a Foucauldian nightmare of technocratic peer-to-peer -peer surveillance. On the right, there was a general sense of aggrieved dignity at the idea that Britain could possibly be systemically and institutionally racist. And then the police show up, not local police. The local police have been cooperative this whole time in helping deal with cyber harassment. This is a different unit headed by a woman named Detective Sergeant Sykes, or Detective Sergeant Sykes, Sergeant isn't her first name, like my <laughs> intonation would have, uh, have uh, implied. Detective Sergeant is her title. Sykes is her name. Barahun describes her as having the face of, quote, a country butcher. And she accuses him of inciting racial, racial hatred via his app. So he calls his lawyer and says he's not going to talk about this anymore. And she gets angry and leaves. Then quote, and then Annie called and told me the government was trying to buy her company and they weren't taking no for an answer. They call in the lawyer whose name is Lindsay. Lawyer says the entity is called Turnpike. If you remember, Oliver Smith works for Turnpike Trust. The entity is called Turnpike, Lindsay said. And then she goes on to explain imminent domain law and the history of it. It says until this year, Imminent domain had never even been suggested that it might be used to acquire a computer game company, and still less that such acquisition might stretch to include the services under contract of its principal employees. Berhun asks, and Turnpike is government? She says, up to a point, yes. It exists in the liminal ground between government and industry, a merger of state and corporate power. Colson twitched, showed his teeth. Nice. At this moment, Annie reported, someone is launching a very sophisticated and very illegal attack on our computers. We've looked at the code, and it's obfuscated. They've broken the attacking code into parts. It's all jumbled to make it hard to analyze or identify. A machine doesn't care about the order of transmission, only the instructed sequence of execution and operation. But for a human, obfuscation makes the code very hard to understand. 
Sophisticated software can have millions of lines. This is less than that, but it's still like reading a book where all the stories are jumbled up. And there's just a line of numbers at the beginning telling you where to start. That's a little cheeky reference to this very book right there. All the... <laughs> All the stories are jumbled up and there's a line of numbers at the beginning. Oh, the hexadecimal puzzle. Yep. Dude, can you imagine, dude, what if, what if this hexadecimal puzzle was a reference to tell you in what order, in what chapter order you should actually read this book? Bro, <laughs> I, I haven't, I haven't done the hexadecimal puzzle yet. I am putting it off. I'm not sure why. I should probably get started on it because I only have a few more weeks of this left and I don't know how long it's going to take me to crack. I'm guessing not that long. So much of this book is talking about this book, right? Right. Like there's so many cheeky references talking about like steganography being lingerie encryption. And it's like Hunter wanted their, you know, all of her schemes to be understood and cracked. Otherwise, you know just putting it out there to make it an effort make it work rather than and and all of the like hunter being an, a novelist and all of this the discussion in the the book seller chapter about how and the chase paquette interview about you know can a book make somebody think different you know can you take the the etic brain scan of somebody before and after reading a book and see you know can can a human consciousness be imprinted within a book? Is that what Diana Hunter's novels were? All of this stuff, like it's it's talking about itself in a large sense. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what's in the code yet. I assume it won't be too hard to crack just because of how it's being referenced within the book, but I should probably give it more time than just putting it off to the last minute. But anyway... So I was talking about this, uh, this attacking code, right? This malware that attack that's being targeted at the spine at Annie's company servers. It says, um, you know, this goes a step further and hides it from most security. It arrives in parts and self-assembles. Nasty. It won't work, I asked her. No, not for fire judges. Our stuff spots it as soon as the reassembly begins. To make it work on the spine, you'd need, she shrugged. You'd need someone on the inside, Colson said, which they don't have, so they can go fuck themselves. Pardon me, but it's it's a salutary lesson. If you want to crack a real deep system with self-correcting adaptive security like ours, security which ultimately boots hard questions to hu to a human boss, you need someone to open it up for you. Just a little bit. Note to self. I think that's part of the point, the lawyer told my granddaughter. They don't want your company. They want what's inside your head and yours, she added when Colson scowled. Can they do that? No, Lindsay said. And then... Or rather, probably not. But they're talking about bringing in all matter of anti-terror and national security legislation, which hasn't been used this way before. Some of it hasn't been used at all. With the existing compulsory purchase law, they can certainly compel you to give up the software if there's a need. If you don't comply, that becomes a much simpler matter to, for them in various ways. The rest is new. They can't press gang her, surely, I objected. Oh, no. They can, however, declare all research around her work to be classified. If they choose to see the software as a weapon, say, then you'd need a permit from the MOD to continue to develop it. If you tried to leave the country while a case was ongoing, they might construe that as a flight with intent to reveal classified material. 
you could be interred in the national interest. That's not imprisonment, by the way, and there's no trial. It's not clear how, the, how long they can maintain it, but they can freeze your bank accounts, both personal and corporate, and be very, very aggressive about unfreezing them. A few months is usually all it takes to destroy someone. There's reputation damage to consider as well, of course, and officially unconnected troubles with authority, which may suddenly appear to complicate things. She glances at Barry Hoon talking about this visit from Detective Sergeant Sykes that he just received. Annie asked, what about afterwards, assuming we win it all? Then you could seek redress. I imagine you might see a small payment sometime before Annie's 90th birthday. <laughs> so, you know, this is a fight the law. It's a big uphill battle. So mm -hmm. there's also a lawyer in their meeting taking notes, but it turns out he's not from Lindsay's firm. He's a government lawyer or a turnpike lawyer or something. He's an outside guy. This is very illegal, but also, quoting Colson, you've got to understand there's how you were to always told things were done, fair play and boundaries and all that, and there's how they actually were, and then there's now. 30 years ago, there was maybe a bit of to and fro about breaking the rules. Now it's just normal. If our lot want to know something they're not allowed to, they ask the Yanks nicely. When the Yanks want to spy on their own, which they mustn't ever at all, they call GCHQ for a favor, see? And since they pretty much bankroll the place, well, we make the resources available, don't we? But you need to get your head around this. If you're having a conversation in the clear, it's being overheard. Mm. So... That's true and also terrifying. Uh, <laughs> this lawyer's presence taking notes has Lin Lindsay extremely spooked and she's talking all the way around things and trying not to give any outright legal advice. Colson figures out what's going on and who this guy is and sort of teases very slowly out of her to consider, you know, what their options are, perhaps going public. The clue that Colson gave that not everything was on the up and up was that bit about merger of state and corporate power, because that's the original definition of fascism from Mussolini's Italy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So they decide to go public. They put the word out to the press, to anonymous, to hacker groups, etc. And the very next night, the bomb attack happens. Jump around a little bit. Interesting. Okay. okay. Yeah. So just... One thing I missed. Yeah. The government that is approaching Annie to buy fire judges, are they represented by Turnpike or is Turnpike a second entity unrelated? So it was explained back in when we first met Oliver that Turnpike is, it's a really old institution dating back to like the, I think like, at least the 1800s, if I'm remembering correctly, but perhaps long older than that. And it was kind of created by a royal charter, but as private entity to do these public, basically like manage, I think like river traffic or something like that. You know, it had some real narrow edict at first, but as they proved their competence, like more and more seemingly unconnected things just kind of got thrown on them until by virtue of being neither public nor fully government, they found a lot of wiggle room in gray areas of the law and were able to sort of gobble up responsibilities and power. And so that's kind of the, the situation where we find them in. Well, certainly in 
you know, the Neath timeline, but it seems also to a certain extent here that they're able to use eminent domain on behalf of the government, but that they're not fully a government agency. Okay. So yeah, it is connected in the sense that it is a, a part of the British government. They are the standing face of the transaction at hand. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So jumping back here to 1974, 1973-74, somewhere around there, Barry Hoon is hitting the high point of his artistic career in Ethiopia. He paints, quote, a five-fold image of the moon in which a black man and an Asian woman, their spacesuits discarded, copulated on a ragged American flag, while behind them, in the dark, a nuclear war made the earth into a final, fatal jewel. I'd like to think that's how you were conceived, Well. <laughs> I mean, (laughs) where's the lie? It's not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay. (laughs) So that was a huge success. His next painting was Nomon, the painting that Kiriakos bought, the mixed media of the shark swimming in numbers and the physical metal fin sticking out of the canvas. He says it was a failure and a career misstep, so he paints something else which he likes a little bit less, but he calls a pastiche copying his own style. But of course, that's the one that really blows up and goes big time and gets him traveling the world and partying with, partying with Andy Warhol, etc., etc. He says, My wild, wild ride culminated in a return to my small apartment in Addis Ababa, from an endless round of American parties to find an imperial footman waiting for me with an actual silver tray. The object on the tray was a supremely redundant grace note, a thick white business card printed by Stevens of Edinburgh, bearing the imperial arms and the name of Haile Selassie I. Underneath, where an ordinary man might put attorney at law or chief financial officer, it read, King of Kings, conquering lion of the tribe of Judah, the elect of God, emperor of Ethiopia. It struck me in that moment that one might as well print labels for the moon and sky. I must have asked some sort of question, for the footman told me I was to paint a portrait. I was so boggled that I asked, of whom? At which the man rolled his eyes to indicate his red livery and presence, the tray and the card, and managed not to say, who do you think, you ignorant Mingalus, or whatever variant thereof was of his inner thought. I stared at him while the obvious reality took hold in my mind. I was to paint a portrait of Haile Selassie. And not only was he to make, to paint the portrait, he was to head straight to the palace and meet the emperor immediately. It it says a little bit here that doesn't quite fit, but I want to get to it anyway. Just to get back to the culture of paranoia and spycraft that was going on and secrets and whispers around Ethiopia and the reign of Haile Selassie. It says the meetings before him that day would be Solomon Kadir the f- is first. That's the head of palace security, chief spy of the empire. And then with the minister of business who had the largest unofficial spy network in Addis Ababa. And then with the minister of political stability, that's the master of the secret police, the three most powerful men in Ethiopia after the emperor himself. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. His palace smells of rich mahogany. 
actually in between those, there was an anteater. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> the emperor received a gift of an anteater from the ruler of Uganda or somebody from Uganda. But anyway, he has his first meeting for the, for the portrait. And he says, I say that we met, but even in the fo- most formal construction, that implies a loose familiarity, which is entirely absent. We were in the same room. We saw one another. He focused upon me and I upon him. And yet there was no discourse between us. He sat and I sat and he said nothing. So nor did I. Physically, he was quite small, quite old, and yet here he was, the man who had defied Mussolini, who had shamed the League of Nations and reconquered Ethiopia. Here was the man who ruled my country and held, who held my life unmentioned in his hand. He turned his head a little, wide brow, deep eyes, a face of age and intelligence, a face that some called the visage of a living God, because, the king, because a king descended of, of a line of kings who has more than once fought wars to hold his throne is not daunting enough. He sat and the clock ticked. The man called the emperor's cuckoo, who bowed on the hour, every waking hour of the day, waited for his moment. Haile Selassie shifted in his seat, leaned down towards me. I thought he would speak. He did not speak. And it goes on like that <laughs> for six months. Not like straight, but you know, they have a yeah. lesson. They have a session here and there. The first one, he's too nervous to even get his sketch pad and his art supplies yeah, pencil out. So he just watches and learns his face. And by the end of it, he knows his face better than his own. And he says, um, Bekele is nervous. One, he's never actually painted a portrait before. And two, there's some fucking ground rules in place. There were constraints upon me, not the least of which was survival. It went without saying that my portrait must be respectful and must appear to be respectful. But in addition to this, the secretary had issued three outright diktats I must obey. First, the portrait should be emphatically in my own style, and I should project the king of kings into such phantasmagoria as I wished. This was a great project of Ethiopia, a challenge to the artists of America and Europe. Africa, too, can produce the wild, the strange, the new. In Africa is being born a civilization that will challenge your way of doing things. We shall begin with the best of you and of us. There shall be a, a reborn power in the world, a new conception of humanity. Warhol must quake, Liechtenstein must stutter, and Henry Kissinger and his Soviet counterpart Eduard Shevardnadze must take note that the old continent was rising. At the least, they should know that they were well met. Second, wherever and however I place the emperor, he should be accompanied by lions. Third, and finally, his imperial majesty should be painted full face at least once in the image. In traditional Ethiopian art, the unrighteous may be known by the fact that they cannot look the viewer in the eye, but must turn away, shame reaching them, even in so faint an echo as pigment. The emperor being of the Solomonic line and the elect of God, it followed that his portrait must know no such fear. Interesting. I just thought that was cool. Yeah. Another quote here. So I kept going. I knew by now that creation was a game of stamina as much as inspiration, and that each failed effort would eventually teach in combination with some stray additional thought the answer that I needed. Finally, in in despair and exhaustion one night, I realized between breaths that my difficulty was in itself a boundary condition, an inherent edge of the work. There was nothing I could imagine that would set off or expose a truth about the emperor beyond what what was the man himself. He was like the notional 
neutronium, a state of political matter so dense as to be irreducible. He was not to be embellished in the way of any other project, but was rather fundament from which the rest of the picture must derive. I began, therefore, with lions, faint ghost images buried beneath the paint so they seemed to hang in the air, and sketched in the outline of the throne room and the window beyond. The emperor I painted last, heavy and opaque, in almost traditional Venetian style, so that it resembled so that it seemed highly Selassie was the only thing in the world made of real substance and everything else was missed. He fairly shone on the viewer, a black demiurge in gold in dark gold, whose eyes encompassed a nation of rising modernity and sparkling towers, a space which, ex which existed first and foremost in his mind. In my own tradition now, upon my other canvases, I presented details of his body, a curled hand, a commanding mouth, a shining eye, and visions of his, of his vision, exploring more fully all that was suggested beyond the window. He says, later, when I saw the poster campaign for that first Star Wars film, the one that is now heretically referred to as the fourth, I thought I recognized the traces of my work in its composition and was delighted at the idea. <laughs> Of course, then the coup happened almost immediately, and the Derg took power. They destroyed the painting, but did worse to Barry Hoon. He thought he'd be safe because you could make a damn convincing reading of his work as subversive and maybe even communist as the Derg ostensibly, uh, ostensibly were. But they looked through the Emperor's appointment book and saw all those sessions with Barry Hoon and took him to be a person of importance, like Michael said, a collaborator. So he's taken to the prison, Alembicagan which he describes as a perfect panopticon. <laughs> Fuck you, Hank McCoy. <laughs> While he's there, a torturer breaks one of Barry Hoon's finger bones every single day in a vice. But he paints anyway with his fucked up crippled hands, it crippled hands just manically inside his cell. He paints on all four walls and on the ceiling. And if this is starting to sound to you like the Chamber of Isis, you might be onto something. <gasps> oh, this is how he gets out. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, no. Okay. He says, when I drew, it, do it did not matter how closely I hewed to the task. What emerged was the sort of contemptible wild imagining from which I had made my useless fame. The shark was everywhere, tiny and vast, playful and appalling. One of the smallest sketches was the most awful, somehow staring out of the wall and watching you as you moved, the way portraits are supposed to, though I have never seen it except in this one case, as if I had captured a perfect essence of predation and execution in my little cell. Now I was imprisoned with my own personal memento of Venatoris. I did not own my hands, my arms. Day upon day, I threw my pencil away, and seeing how I failed and failed, whenever they came and snapped another of my bones, they likewise replaced the stub with another. Sometimes it was a fine artist's charcoal or a soft lead, sometimes a color, so that I would be drawn, bruised, shaking, and stained with sweat and the inevitable piss of sudden agony to repeat my failure. They encouraged me to addict myself to that combination of failure and pain and therefore, thereby made me torture myself. I could not stop trying, and each attempt embroidered the mosaic of image and strangeness on my walls and ceiling until the cell was the best work I had ever done and the most bizarre, a many-eyed woman gazing at me from above while my own image cowered in a corner and was lifted up by three others like some Bible scene in a church. Hmm. But in the chamber of Isis that Athenaeus saw or described, the Ethiopian man, the one who looks like him, was carrying others from a burning building, not being carried by others. Mm. 
and the the eyes were not belonging to the woman, but gazing at the woman. Anyway, then the torturer comes in and says he loves Barry Hoon's art and wishes it wasn't so, but after full review, Barry Hoon is scheduled to be executed at the end of the month. So this would be November 1974. Historically, 60 prisoners were executed or killed in Alambakagan on November 23rd, 1974. He was to be number 61. He says, I became obsessed with the knowledge that I would die, and day by day I played a game of it to prepare, as if by endless repetition repetition, I could somehow change sides and not be the corpse but the death, and thus survive myself. I lay upon my bed and imagined that I was breathing my last, that I was in mortal agony on a torture table or coughing as my broken ribs gouged my lungs. I was starving and could not go on, or dying of thirst, or shot and feeling the red-hot rounds unmake my heart. I died and wept and died again, over and over, until I could not stand it and wished the day would come sooner. Finally, one morning, something in me shattered and could not be pulled back together, and the illusion that complicity in my own demise might undo it, uh, might undo the fact of it, was blown away. I knew then, with only a fortnight to go, that I must at all costs escape, and since Alan Bikagin was in the normal way of things escape-proof, the only remedy for its walls being bribery or favor, and I had no means to effect either, I must take an extraordinary route for my departure. I must, I determined with a feverish certainty, learn to walk through walls, and to do that I must make the walls my own. I must cover them in the outpouring of myself, complete the image that had insistently been midwifing itself through me and in that action i would gain control of matter and time and be made free i gathered up the stubs and fragments they had left me and began to work and when they came i extended my hand almost absently so that they could perform the vandalism upon it only to find that in in this the committee had relented and in the place of the vice they had brought me a parcel of brushes and tubes of oils taken from my own supply I did not sleep, or perhaps I did not wake. I worked and worked and felt myself dissolve into the brush, the paint, the stone. Even my splinted fingers were nimble as I folded the dream world around the rivets and the door, as I cheated perspective to yield a high dome of blue stars on my ceiling and derive the benign face of the mother goddess of space, of space exploration from the sinister surveillance I had drawn in my first flush. They told me the days were passing and asked if I wanted a priest, and then left when I laughed at them. Could they imagine a priest having anything to say in such a room? The guards now would not enter. They said that sometimes, when they did, they could not find me for a few minutes inside, even though the place was barely ten feet deep. They said sometimes they got lost, departing, as if the patterns of the walls were deathless and extrusive. It was understood that when the time came, I would not be marched out, but they would shoot me from outside the room and then hose the whole place down until the colors ran. On the evening before my execution, they brought me wine, and I mixed it with rose, madder, and drew the final lines upon the east wall, then drank the rest and laid down upon the floor. I reached outwards to the painted sky of rocket ships and the benign angels of the other walls, to a dream of age and fulfillment, and begged. I lay on the floor of Alan Bakagan, the place that is called Farewell to the World because it is the gate of death, and felt between the instants the edges of a better door. Wow. Right? So back in the burning house, the safe room, the air running out, he reaches for that same door again. What's the alternative? There's nothing in death. There's no one waiting for him. He says, perhaps there was another life not so sad that I missed somehow this time. 
and will have in another world. Although, look at this fine girl who is my granddaughter and tell me you would trade her for any other. No, I would not. I would not trade her for anything, least of all my own life, here at its far, far end. I stand up and open the door and hear her call out in horror. We step through into a room full of ghosts. That's the end of the chapter. But I've got another Mm. chapter. Chapter 14, This Acceleration. Sarah Font, it's a Neath chapter. She wakes up, still in that Waxman's room in the embassy. She was only asleep for a few moments. The acceleration of the Hunter playback is tiring her out. Her head is foggy. She just needs to keep resting. She asks for another hour or so of sleep and nods off again. That's the whole chapter. That's the ch- <laughs> I was like, you're really charging through this. <laughs> <laughs> no, the chapter, that's the chapter. It's one page. Uh, okay. I guess you can't see it with the lighting, but yeah. no, I, I can see. I can see. Okay. I can see that that there is text, and it doesn't take up a whole page. Okay, so only for the sake of pointing it out. Yeah. A panopticon. Yeah. Prison. Yes. Does not have four walls. That's a true. Cell. It's perfectly circular. But like each cell doesn't have a wall it's, so it's, that a that's guard true. can see that's true right? it's open um yeah so a nitpicker would argue well done that he can't be painting on four walls in the ceiling but the no prize could be that he's just painting on the floor then yes there you go okay <laughs> well done all right <laughs> I think it's really interesting the guard's perspective right. of his cell. Yeah. That is not being able to find him, getting lost on their way out. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Okay. So this book is starting to go along the same route as like Get Out for me. Uh huh. Uh huh. Get Out the movie for those who don't yeah. immediately know what I'm talking about. Cause like, for for me the whole concept of get out well not the whole concept but the first like half of get out mm-hmm. was incredibly real and wildly freaky and yeah. made me feel very uncomfortable like in my own skin yeah it was like the the kind of racism that is uh shown in get out at the beginning is very much the kind of racism you get in Santa Barbara. Sure. It's not it's not the go to the back of the bus you nigger kind of right. racism. It's very mm-hmm. much the like oh I love you're you're so you're so um quick with your hands. Do you play a lot of sports? <laughs> right. Like <laughs> <laughs> it it's it's the it's the like I'm trying to be friendly and and cordial but my only frame of reference for having a conversation with you is about your skin kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So with like Nomon, like we're getting all of these pieces and references to technology that exists or is being worked on. Sorry for in get out the saving grace was they introduced the supernatural element. Right. Like it would have been so jarring to me (laughs) if they never did the like, if you just stayed there it, the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to spoil it in yeah. case anybody watches it because it's a great movie. I have yeah, to see it. Yeah. 
but they did introduce a supernatural element. And mm-hmm. because of that part, it made it so I could take a step back yeah. and be like, oh, this isn't my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> Just let you sort of breathe and yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. yeah. And so with Nomon, you have all this like very believable, super realistic, totally 10 years down the line, this could happen type stuff. Yes. Yeah. And then they, they're like, well, also though. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's just turn up the volume here a little bit. And like it, and even when you're reading it, I'm getting like zoned in, zoned in, zoned in. And then you say, you said something in your reading just now, just like to the point where I felt like I had, I could start to bend matter and time. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's kind of what the, you know, calling back to the, you know, the the psychedelia power of the mind that I was talking about at the beginning right. of the chapter. Like, that's kind of like, you know, I, I guarantee you that that's something that Elizabeth believes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's um this whole trip has been really interesting because like almost every chapter has like one of those like. Ah, step back step back yeah kinds of like moments yeah yeah it's like okay okay it's a book it's fiction <laughs> it's a book <laughs> yeah yeah it's fine to circle back to a conversation that we had basically where i'm going down the path of the bad guy because i'm talking about all the big data stuff sure yeah 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 the like facebook papers or whatever that got released yes yeah yeah that is a perfect example of use it of having all this power and all this data and using it poorly yeah bad decisions yeah when when you have the opportunity to legitimately let the algorithm work for your clients your customers and then you take that and you tweak it to make more money or you try to make it so it generates more reactions and more interactions from your users that's when you've taken it to the wrong direction like yes you've created such a beautiful algorithm let it just be let it feed the way that the user wants to be fed like that's what it should have been but according to these papers that is the exact opposite of what they did all for like generating more clicks and getting more, more, you know, revenue and ad dollars. And it's like, ah, that's so frustrating. (laughs) But it's also like power like that can't help, but be it without the presence of, of accountability built in in some way can't help, but be misused. Yeah. You know, it's, it's inevitable that somebody's going to walk in and want to, use that that power to you know some sort of selfish or self-serving ends if as as long as there's you know as as long as it exists and there's no check on it yeah and that was kind of like you know one of the things that you know i worked in anti-nuclear weapons activism for a long time and you know professionally and that was kind of eventually like part of the realization that led me towards that is like, as long as these things exist, like, I mean, we don't have to use it as purely hypothetical because they have been used (laughs) on civilians 
to her horrific, horrific consequences. But like, as long as these things exist and aren't, we're, we're not actively working on destroying them. It seems unthinkable that they would be used in aggression in a, you know, a situation besides testing again. But and, and even the testing is horrific for people. But anyway, it, it seems unthinkable. But as long as they exist until we get rid of them, the use is inevitable. Yeah. Thanks, Thanos. <laughs> I am inevitable. Yeah. Anyway, this was this was quite the trip. Good. Good, good, good. Spiraling from Thanos, a fan theory post-Eternals came out. Yeah. And it was interesting. Okay. I'm going to have to catch up on MCU. I'm so behind. You're good. I'm so behind. Eternals was very interesting. I will say, if you're given the opportunity to watch Black Widow or Shang-Chi or Eternals, yeah. I'll go Eternals. First? For the sake of getting caught up or ready for MCU going forward. Yes. Okay. That is not to say that you shouldn't watch Shang-Chi or Black Widow. Yeah. Because both are good in their own right. I think Shang-Chi was better than Black Widow. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to watch all of them. I I, yes. I have seen, you know, every MCU up to this point. I, I don't intend to stop now. I will also say, though, now that I, I guess I it, dropped Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. after a couple of seasons, after three seasons, <laughs> but still. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's not it's not <laughs> canon anymore. <laughs> oh, wow. OK. But uh, if you watch it in release order, the movies only get better for phase four. OK. If you watch Black Widow first and then Shang-Chi and then Eternals. OK. Black Widow and and Shang-Chi both had one end credit scene. Eternals had two. Sweet. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I suppose we can wrap it here. I think we can wrap it here. Uh, I'm going to be reading some more comics next week. You're going to be doing some more No One next week. Yeah, and two more chapters. That's it? No, no, no. Two more chapters next week. Oh, okay. Got it. I've, I've got should... four or five more weeks of No Man ahead of me. That's wild, dude. Yeah. Getting close to the end. This has been a end. fun trip. This has been a fun trip. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm really, really glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I I really loved reading this book. And I really want to see where this is going. Yeah, yeah. When we do our fan our theory talk, that's why I think we should have Nips in. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nips, I know you're listening. So <laughs> <laughs> just like seriously, just like so you know. <laughs> oh God. He, he yeah. The guy is in our group chat where we schedule, you know, exactly. when we're going to record. And he's never like, oh, yeah, that one works for me. <laughs> yeah, we'll get him. We'll get him. Okay. Anyway, um, where are we putting the outro music? Let's put the outro music here. Oh. And uh, I like your style. For the final week of the podcast. So take care of yourself, man. Uh, you guys will have